Hello and welcome to another edition of the UK Law Weekly podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we are going to be looking at the case of the Law Devonshire Trust Corporation PLC and Ukraine. The citation for this case is 2023 UKSC 11. And the case that we're looking at today takes us right into the heart of the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. Although this dispute predates the most recent invasion, it still tells us a lot about the relationship between the two countries. It all stems from a contract between Ukraine and the Law Devonshire Trust that is acting on behalf of Russia. Way back in 2013, Ukraine issued eurobonds valued at $3 billion to Russia, with an annual interest rate of 5%. In essence, this was a loan given by Russia to Ukraine that became repayable at the end of 2015. Lord Devonshire is the trustee of the bonds, and the two sides agreed that the trustee would be governed by the law of England and Wales, which is why the case is being heard here. Ukraine did initially make some repayments of the loan, but ultimately failed to repay the sum once they matured in 2015. As such, Lord Devonshire issued proceedings against Ukraine, claiming the sum that was due to Russia. In theory, this should be a relatively straightforward case. Ukraine owed money and did not pay it, so now it should. Of course, it really isn't that simple. Ukraine alleges that the contract was only signed because of massive political and economic pressure from Russia that was designed to ensure that its neighbour would not go to the European Union for financial support and would rely on Russia instead. That pressure was argued to be illegitimate and also unlawful under international law. On top of all that, in February 2014, Russia invaded and subsequently annexed the Crimean Peninsula from Ukraine. From that point on, it has continued to interfere militarily and caused a great deal of destruction and destabilisation across the eastern portion of Ukraine. This case was actually heard before Russia launched a full-scale invasion of Ukraine in February 2022, and so that most recent intervention was not even part of the discussion in this case. Lord Devonshire originally applied for a summary judgment which would allow the court to decide the case without a trial when the defence has no real prospect of success and there is no other compelling reason for a trial. That application was granted and Ukraine was ordered to repay the debt owed under the bonds. They appealed to the Court of Appeal and were partially successful, which prompted an appeal from both sides to the Supreme Court, which is where we pick things up. During the proceedings, Ukraine maintained four defences, and the justices went through each of them in turn. The first one was that Ukraine lacked capacity to enter into the transaction under which the bonds were issued as a matter of Ukrainian law. This just did not ring true for the Supreme Court because Ukraine is a sovereign state and therefore is recognised by English law as a legal person with full capacity. Ukraine did argue that its capacity was limited by its constitution as well as Ukrainian domestic law, but that does not affect the decision of an English court because that body's understanding of capacity is derived from the British government's recognition of Ukraine as a sovereign state. As such, Ukraine did have capacity to issue the bonds. The second defence was a little bit similar to the first, and argued that the Minister of Finance lacked authority to enter into the transaction. Here, the justices once again disagreed with this submission, 
and held that the minister did have the authority to sign the trust deeds and the contracts. Before the bonds were issued, there was involvement from the president, the other cabinet ministers, as well as the minister of finance, which all suggested that the Ukrainian government had taken a consistent approach to the borrowing. After all, if a state represents that a person has the authority to act on its behalf, then the state will be bound by that person's actions when he or she is dealing with another person as an agent and on the basis of that representation. Lord Devonshire were not given any warning or indication that the minister might not have the authority to issue the bonds because it would breach the borrowing limits of Ukrainian law. There was no reason to doubt the authority of the minister in this situation, and so that defence must fail too. The third argument is a bit more interesting and submits that Ukraine was entitled to avoid the repayments because of duress arising from Russia's unlawful and illegitimate threats, and pressure which targeted Ukraine's economy, its territorial integrity, and its independence. Here, the Supreme Court was able to examine the law of duress and noted that when consent to a contract is induced by threats or pressure, the contract is voidable if the threat or pressure was illegitimate under English law, and if there was a sufficient causal connection between the threat or pressure and the eventual decision to enter into the contract. In this scenario, Ukraine's allegation of duress raised two different kinds of pressure, and these are treated differently under English law. The first category is economic pressure, which comprises the imposition and threat of trade restrictions. Unfortunately for Ukraine, the issue is that protectionism and even sanctions or embargoes are a regular part of statecraft and therefore cannot constitute duress. Furthermore, it doesn't matter if the economic pressure represented a breach of international law, because the relevant test is duress under English law. The second category, though, is the use of threats of force to impinge upon Ukraine's security and territorial integrity. These threats can constitute duress because they would involve violence against Ukraine's military, its civilian population, and its property. All of this is an example of illegitimate pressure, and in order to determine whether or not that pressure induced Ukraine to enter into the trust deed, a full trial is needed. It is not something that can be decided summarily. At the trial, it will be on Lord Devonshire to prove that the threats of force did not affect Ukraine's decision, and the economic pressure will be a relevant part of that context, because if it accentuated the threats, then that will further aid Ukraine's cause. The fourth and final argument presented by Ukraine was that they should be able to rely on the international law doctrine of countermeasures to resist having to repay the money that is due. Put simply, a countermeasure is a response to something that is unlawful under international law that aims to make another state comply with its obligations. The problem for Ukraine on this point is that the argument is just not relevant to this case raised before the English courts. In fact, the Supreme Court held that it cannot make a decision on this submission because English law does not recognise a defence of countermeasures on an international level, and beyond that, the details of a dispute between two states is not suitable to be adjudicated by a single national court. Despite failing on the majority of its arguments, I think this still has to be seen as a win for Ukraine, 
The conflict between Russia and Ukraine will now make its way to the English High Court of all places, and Ukraine will get the chance to argue and present evidence that it was duress from Russia that induced Ukraine to enter into the bond agreement in the first place. That will certainly be an interesting case to follow, but success in the Supreme Court is not a guarantee of success in the full trial. In fact, establishing the causal relationship between the threats and the decision to issue the bonds will be quite difficult, even if the burden of proof is with Lord Debonshire in the first instance. Part of the problem for Ukraine is the rather narrow ground within which they have to play with. It is true that the justices allowed for the economic pressure to be part of the context for the physical threats of violence, but not allowing that economic pressure to stand by itself will certainly harm Ukraine's chances, given that the decision mostly seems to stem from pressure to not accept financial aid from the European Union. Interestingly, Lord Carnworth dissented on this point, and noted that the physical and economic threats go hand in hand as part of a single concerted effort by Russia to induce Ukraine to sign the deal. He also submitted that it is relevant to consider international legal standards when considering duress by one state towards another, and would have allowed the defence of countermeasures to proceed to trial. I can see why the majority were more wary of this broader approach, because when deciding a legal case between two states in a domestic setting, a court has to be cognizant of issues of justiciability. Also, a decision in favour of Ukraine would allow a country to renege on an international agreement, and that would be a precedent the court should be careful of setting. Nevertheless, I do not think that Lord Carnworth's arguments are beyond what is reasonable here. The physical and economic threats are all part of the same campaign by the Russian government, and it only seems fair that Ukraine should be able to argue this point in court, alongside their failure to repay being a lawful countermeasure in response to an unlawful act. In any case, it is not often that the Supreme Court gets to make a decision on something that has global importance. This decision may ultimately have a significant impact on the shape of the war in Ukraine. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this podcast, and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. A quick reminder before we go that if you would like to support the podcast and help to keep it ad-free, then you can subscribe to my newsletter and earn yourself some nice perks including more content from me each week and a free ebook on how to answer essay questions on a law degree. If that sounds like something you're interested in, then check out the link in the description to this podcast episode. Anyway, I'll be back with another episode next week, but for now, bye!